0: Uh, earth-shattering headline, Family in Crisis, it's the Kardashians. Anybody ever heard of them? There's a show called Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and basically what it is, is some cameras following around these people who are fabulously filthy rich. They travel around the world, and we just watch the conversations and the antics of these fabulously wealthy people. Well, they experienced something of, well, some would call it a tragedy. Others might just say it's just one of the sad things that happens in life. And it happened January 2014 in the episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Kylie and her model sister, Kendall, 18 years of age were devastated by the news that their parents were separating, and Kendall sobbed in season nine, the season nine premiere, and said, "I don't want to live like I have divorced parents." Very sad. Nine months later, on September 22nd, the same day, it was re- revealed that Chris and Bruce filed divorce documents in Los Angeles. And the 17 year old reality star Kylie posted a cryptic message on Instagram for her 12 million followers about insecurities and emptiness. We put that up. And it's a quote that says this I discovered that our disconnect was never because of the insecurities we felt, but rather the emptiness we created when we failed to make sense of ourselves. Can I read that again? I discovered that our disconnect was never because of the insecurities we felt, but rather the emptiness we created when we failed to make sense of ourselves. Nothing could be more apt in describing the Kardashian nine years of reality TV than the word emptiness. And it's interesting that this daughter of the family that created this empty reality show would say that her heart was broken and that the insecurity she felt was created when we failed to make sense of ourselves. Now, this acknowledgement or recognition of the emptiness that she feels and that I think probably the whole family feels is something that is not just something that the wealthy feel. It's something that we can all feel, or we all will feel, if we do not find our fulfillment in Jesus Christ. I'll explain more about that in just a moment. But let me say this, that if there's anything that describes the Christian life, it's that word fulfillment. In Christ, we have That emptiness taken away, that hole in our heart is filled. This is what Christianity is all about. It's someone described it as a sense of of feeling that you've come home, that you've arrived, that you are where you belong. When Jesus was coming to the end of his work in this world, he prayed a special prayer for his disciples. And you know, Jesus was only on the earth for a very short time. He was born, and when he entered the, about the 30th year of his life, he began a three-year ministry that culminated, as you all know, in his crucifixion and his death at Calvary. Just before he went to the cross, he prayed a special prayer. It's that John 17, in the, the 17th chapter of John. And here's what, here's what uh, Jesus prays for his disciples. He says, I have given them, that he's praying to the Father, I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And so we recognize that as Jesus comes to the end of his ministry and as he prepares to commission his disciples... He reminds the disciples that they, while they live in this world, they're not of it. While they have got a job to do in this world, they're not to take part in the things that fascinate the people of this world. I'm going to tell you this right now. This probably is one of the most important things that you're going to hear as a believer If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, if you really believe that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you will understand that what sets you apart as being different from the rest of the world is that you're in this world, but you're not of it. You do not share the same values as the people of this world. You are marching to the drumbeat of a different drummer. His name is Jesus Christ. Now, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about the seven habits. We talked about, in the first week, how to walk with God. We said there's three habits that you need if you're going to walk with God, and that is to do daily devotions. And by the way, a number of you have signed up for the daily devotional coaching and have been getting the emails. I've had lots of great feedback about that. It's not too late to sign up for that, by the way. Just go to the website, www.crosschurch.ca, and you can sign up. But you need to do daily devotions. Secondly, if you're going to walk with God, you need to go to church every week. Not once in a while, but as a regular habit. The Bible says that Jesus was in the habit of going to synagogue every week. And then, of course, the third habit, if you're going to walk with God, is that, is that you're going to have to live this moment-by-moment holiness where you make a decision to either do what Jesus wants you to do or you do what you want to do. And then last week, we talked about walking with each other. And again, it's, it's all about relationship. First of all, relationship with God, the first three habits. The, sec, this, uh, the next two habits, uh, number four and five, are all about walking with each other. And that's being in a small group and serving in your church. Getting involved, using the gifts and the talents that God has given you. Today, we're talking about how to walk in this world. This world that Jesus said you are in, but you're not of. I'll tell you more about what I mean by that in just a moment. But let me just tell you this. In a nutshell... In a nutshell, Christianity is all about you and I partnering with Jesus Christ to advance his kingdom. That's what it's all about. You and I are partners with Jesus Christ in advancing his kingdom. And unless you understand that, you're not going to really understand these seven habits, and you definitely will not understand why we do what we do at Cross Church. This morning, we... Uh, received into membership, uh, I think I think there are 15 in total, 15 people who wanted to become members. And tonight we're going to be having a special evening to celebrate and to say thank you to those of you who helped us this past summer to advance the kingdom of God. We call that advancement of the kingdom of God these missions trips. More about that in just a moment. So here's the thing: all those who truly love the Lord and are following Him will happily agree with what I'm sharing today. And those of you who are on the fence, those of you who think you are following Christ, well, today's a day where you're going to find out whether you are or not. So the first thing we need to recognize, if, in fact, we're doing what Jesus wants us to do, living in the world but not of it, is that you need to understand that Jesus Christ is not just your Savior, he is your Lord. Recently, the world has been stunned by ISIS, uh, I don't know if you've heard it or not, but, you know, you'd have to be living with your head in the ground to not know about this. Because it's, it's virtually on every news program, it's on every newspaper, and it fills the airwaves uh, constantly. And basically, we're talking about this militant Islamic force, this group that is recruiting, not just from the Middle East, but recruiting from North America, and so right now we've got people from Britain, people from the USA, uh, people even from Canada who have gone over to fight with ISIS against what they believe is, is Western imperialism and the immorality of North America. The call is this, come and die for Allah and Muhammad. Come and die. Come and be a martyr for the cause. Now, interestingly, the West interprets this Islamic fervor as as a, a political fervor. They believe that it's just a religious group trying to get the political upper hand. What they don't understand is that at the core of what's happening with ISIS is a religious fervor. It's not merely or just political, it's spiritual they believe that their call—and you've got to get this—their call is to monopolize the world with Islam, with Sharia law. They want the world to be Muslim. So if you go on YouTube, you, there's there's plenty, plenty there that will show you, that will reveal to you the hearts of these so-called freedom fighters. And they say it's just a matter of time before we take over Britain. It's just a matter of time before we take over Europe. And if you look at the statistics, particularly if you look at the census of these countries, you'll discover that the fastest growing religious group is, in fact, Islam. In fact, the fastest growing religious group in the world today is Islam. Now, I don't want anybody going away from here saying Pastor Allen hates Muslims. I don't hate Muslims. I am called to show them a better way. And anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ is committed to that same task. But our problem is that we've adopted the philosophy of North Americans, and more specifically, Americans. We believe that we can somehow advance our cause and advance the kingdom of the West through guns and violence. And Jesus has called us to advance his kingdom through love, not with guns, not with scare tactics and beheadings, but with the gospel, the message of love. I want to say this to you. There's many people in the Middle East who, if you ask them, what religion are the North Americans? What religion are those who live in the West? And every one of them is going to say, it's Christian. Now, those of us who are truly Christ followers and who have at our hearts, as our hearts desire to advance the kingdom of God, we know that that is simply not true. There's really nothing Christian about North America except some of the, the values that are quickly fading away. The values of honesty and trust it's quickly fading away. So I want to ask a question for all of us today. What has happened to our Christian fervor? What has happened to our desire to advance God's kingdom? We used to sing a hymn called "Onward Christian." Ah, oh, you know that song. For some of you thought well that was just a jazz song that they play in New Orleans. In fact, it was one of the great hymns of the church, and it spoke of the church triumphant. Now, please, I didn't say, I'm not talking about a Christian triumphalism, that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about the fact that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Some of us would be tempted to chew our nails and think, oh, no, Islam is advancing and Christianity is falling apart, and we're doomed. The fact of the matter is, we're not doomed. Because the Christian, the Christian church is advancing very well, thank you very much, in many parts of the world. It's just not advancing here in North America. And I'll tell you why. Because somewhere along the line, we have forgotten that Jesus Christ is not just our Savior, He's our Lord. Thomas. Remember Thomas in the Bible? We call him Doubting Thomas because after Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't really believe. I mean, he liked the teachings of Jesus. He loved what happened there. But when it came right down to it, he could not believe that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. And when Jesus Christ appeared to him and showed him his hands and showed him his side where he was pierced and showed him his feet where his hands and, and feet were pierced by nails, Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Folks, that was a turning point for those disciples because now they knew that they knew that they knew that Jesus Christ was not just an amazing rabbi, But he was indeed the Son of God, the Lord of lords, and the King of kings. They took their marching orders from him. I want to ask you the question today. Are you fervently following the Lord Jesus Christ? We're called, I don't know if you realize this, we're called by Jesus in his authority and his power, to share his ministry, to do what, folks? To free people from spiritual bondage. That's our job as a church. That's our job as Christians, to help people be set free. And where ISIS is fighting for religious freedom and for Islamic domination, Jesus Christ is talking about the kingdom of men's hearts. He established his kingdom in the hearts of human beings, of all those who would come and say, Jesus be my Lord. Now here's the thing. There's a broader biblical narrative that needs to be grasped, and we have forgotten it in North America. It's not only to fall in love with Jesus, which is, you know, that is sort of the main theme. In fact, um, if you watch Christian TV, that's sort of what the main theme is. If you listen to most worship songs, if, you buy, if you're in the habit of buying worship uh, music on iTunes or on CD, you'll discover that the, the main theme is it's all about loving Jesus and falling in love with Christ, and he's my, my boyfriend, and he's my Lord, and he's wonderful. But what we don't understand is that we're not just called to fall in love with Jesus. We're called to fall at the feet of Jesus. He's not just our Savior, he's our Lord. And we come in full surrender to him, and we ask him to be Lord of our lives. Folks, listen. To commit to Jesus Christ means we're committed to a disciplined way of living. This is why we present to you the seven habits. As a way to be disciplined in your walk with God. And so you can ask yourself the question, am I on track? Am I following Jesus? And how do I know I'm following Jesus? How do I know that he is my Lord? And how do I know I'm submitting to his Lordship? Well, we gave you a checklist. And by the way, if you want a bookmark with that checklist, by all means, get it after the service. We've got some left over. Are you praying, are you walking with God every day through reading your Bible and praying? Are you going to church every Sunday? Are you asking yourself the question day by day, moment by moment, Father, not my will, but thine be done? Are you doing what God wants you to do, or are you doing what you want to do? Are you involved in a small group? Are you serving in the church, getting involved somewhere? Are you involved in discipleship? Being discipled and making disciples. This is why at our church, you're gonna come, you, if you come on October the 8th, you'll be able to come to a, a class where we're going to teach you what it means to follow Christ. But we also give you opportunity to go and make disciples. Parallel tracks on which every Christian must travel, where you are being discipled and also making disciples. And folks, listen, in North America, we're really good at getting information in. Just shove the information in. But Jesus tells us plainly that it's, that's, not the, that's not the full deal. You've got to be in the process of actually making disciples. So we're committed to these seven habits, to learn to articulate our faith, to be grounded in the word, by rooting it in what God has done throughout history. Now, when we finally bend our knee to the Lord Jesus Christ... We bend our knee to him and then we say, Lord, whatever you want. What do you want me to do? One of the things I loved about youth ministry, and some of you have heard me say this before, I loved doing youth ministry. I'd rather be the pastor to the youth than the parents of the youth because the youth were ready to do whatever the Lord Jesus said. They're on fire for God, they're devoted to God, they're idealistic, they're committed. Pastor, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. What does Jesus want me to do? And if I put up a list and said, if you'd like to be a martyr, if you'd like to die for your faith, sign up. And we're going next week to Iraq to tell them about Jesus. They would all sign up and say, I'm ready to die. But somewhere along the line, we get taken up with the things of this world. The things of this world become mighty enticing and interesting, and we start thinking that we need to do what everybody else in the world is doing, but Jesus is calling us to be in the world, but not of it. How are you living your life? Are you radical for Jesus? I spoke at the Bible College a few weeks ago, and one of the things that I talked about was the importance of being, making radical decisions to follow Jesus Christ. And I had a bit of a debate with, with the Bible College president afterward saying that he wasn't sure that was the right terminology. And I said, well, have you read uh, the book of Hebrews? And particularly, have you read about those who were sawn in half and who died for their faith because they would rather die for their faith in obedience to Christ than not? I don't know of anything more radical than that, do you? He didn't say anything. And he couldn't. Because following Jesus means, God, my life is yours. It's all yours. All that I have, all that I am, all that I own, it's all yours. The sign of true Christianity is that you're doing the will of the Lord Jesus Christ as your life priority. When's the last time you prayed and said, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to live? What do you want me to drive? What do you want me to do with my money? And some of you will say, well, pastor, surely God doesn't expect that level of commitment. Folks, it's the only level of commitment that Jesus asked for. Jesus is Lord. And because he's the Lord, and if you're following him, it means that you are involved in what is nearest and dearest to the heart of the Father. And that is advancing his kingdom. Habits six and seven are all about walking in this world and what we do as followers of Christ walking in this world. We make disciples and we give. That's the the way that we are called to live. Now look at this passage of scripture. All of us know it. It's what we call the Great Commission. And here's what it says. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now this verse, verse 18 is a declaration of his lordship. He is saying, I have authority over everything and everyone. At the end of the day, Jesus is saying, I'm the final authority. Listen to me. You do what I say first and foremost. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if, in fact, you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then your main concern, your main drive is determine what it is that the Lord Jesus wants. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus establishes that he is the Lord. The second thing that he establishes is that our job as subjects of the Lord Jesus Christ is to do what he wants us to do. And what is that? Go and make disciples. Which means we're being discipled and we're making disciples. I'm excited about tonight to hear what God has done through the people and the ministries of this church. I, want to, I just want to share this with you. While other churches are getting hung up on what we call the social gospel or social justice, Our church has not lost sight of the fact that Jesus Christ, in his great commission, did not talk about social justice or a social gospel. What did he say? The most important thing you're going to do in this world, the most important need in this world, folks, is not the bellies of mankind, but the hearts of mankind. Jesus has called us to go and do what is most needed. And what's most needed is that people discover the condition of their heart and their need of Christ. Now, does that mean I'm saying Pastor Allen's against the feeding programs and caring for orphans and widows? Obviously, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is our first priority needs to be the preaching of the gospel so that people hear the truth that will set them free. This is what people need. With... Vladimir for lunch this week. And uh, it was in the midst of our conversation, he was talking about what would happen if there were people who believed that their main priority was a social gospel, take care of people's physical needs first. He said, what would have happened then is that the prodigal son, rather than returning to his father, would have been given a few sandwiches, a place to go to bed, and he would still be working in the pigsty. I thought it was so profound because, folks, that is the problem with most of what Christians and what, most of what churches do today in North America. We have forgotten the call to bring salvation to the hearts of those who are lost. Has anybody ever heard of the Salvation Army? It's doing a fabulous work. But I can tell you that it was founded, its founder founded the organization for the primary purpose of leading people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when people have put their faith in Christ, when people come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, their lives change. And rather than feeding them for a day, now suddenly you're showing them how to feed themselves for the rest of their lives. This is what Christianity does. It transforms people's hearts. It transforms their lives. It transforms their minds. And suddenly they start living the way God wants them to live. And suddenly, they start doing what's best for them. And for the prodigal son, the best thing that could have happened to him was not that he be kept with a belly full as he worked with the pigs, but that he leave that all behind and go back to his father. Folks, that's the great need in this world, is that we are in the business of leading people back to our heavenly Father. That's how we advance the kingdom. That is what advancing the kingdom is all about. It's leading people back to the Father where they're set free and where they find hope. Making disciples is the sixth habit. The seventh habit is giving. Now, I know some of you right now are just, I can hear your brains shutting down. When it comes to giving, I don't want to hear about that, Pastor, please. Talk about, can't we talk about something else? Can't we talk about the Kardashians? Do we have to talk about giving? I'm going to tell you this the kingdom of God cannot go forward without resources. Do you understand that? Right now, the world is shocked at how ISIS is advancing so quickly, so powerfully in the Middle East. Everybody's shocked. All the, all the nations, the, the, the allied nations, are looking on and they're shocked at how ISIS is advancing and how many hundreds and hundreds of Christians have been slaughtered by this radical Muslim group. Do you know that it is being funded by black market crude oil? They estimate that at least $1.2 million a day is being made available to these fighters. million per day. And it's for that reason that America has bombed their oil wells. Now, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Because the only way that you and I are going to see the kingdom of God advance is if you and I get serious about investing in the kingdom of God to advance that kingdom. And by the way, it's the only thing that matters. Do you know that the Pharisees, after Jesus died and after he rose, and after he, he ascended into heaven. Do you know that the Pharisees were extremely shocked and troubled and worried by the advancement of Christianity? We read that in the beginning of the book of Acts. It says in the book of Acts that the, that the whole city, the whole city heard about Jesus. Shocking. And it says that literally thousands of people were coming to Jesus Christ. What's going on here? I'll tell you what's happening. The advancement of the kingdom is happening. We cannot make that claim here in North America. We certainly can't make that claim here in Winnipeg. But back in the day, 2,000 years ago, without Twitter, without Facebook, without the internet, without telephones, without motor-driven vehicles, the gospel literally spread through the whole city. What's their secret? I'll tell you what the secret is. is that, number one, they recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord, and secondly, they understood that their call was to advance the kingdom. Our job as Christians is to advance the kingdom. Now, please, I know some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, but Christi- religion and Christianity hasn't really had a, had a good reputation, and I don't know if I want to be involved in that, and some of you are even embarrassed to tell people you're Christians because as soon as you, you mention that, you're afraid that, Somehow people are going to associate you with, uh, with the Westboro Baptist Church that stands at, at funerals of gay people saying God hates fags. Have you seen that? In the name of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, it's interesting, that tiny little group, uh, just a handful of people, defines for the whole nation what Christians are. I'm going to tell you right now that God does not hate fags. God loves them. In fact, he loves them so much, he sent his son to die for them. And not just for them, for you. Jesus came to die for you. Because of the great love of God. This is the message that you and I are called to advance. The heart of a loving God. The heart of a loving Heavenly Father. Who wants to set people free. Can you imagine what would happen if we really got serious about advancing the kingdom of God? Can you imagine the lives that would be transformed, the people who would be set free, the people who are taking drugs who would be set free, the alcoholics who would be set free, the marriages that would be healed, the bellies that would be filled, the orphans that would be taken care of, the widows who would be cared for? Can you imagine an end to war in this world? Can you imagine poverty being stamped out Folks, that's the power of the gospel. The power of Jesus Christ to transform people's hearts. And when it comes to establishing the kingdom of God, God establishes it in our hearts. I want you to see this last verse. Jesus says this, and I'm almost done. Give and you will receive. Your gifts will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Of course, Jesus is describing grain being poured out, the stuff of life, the staple of life. He's saying, share a little bit of what you have and watch how God will pour it back in your lap so much you're going to shake that container to make room for more and you still won't be able to contain it all because it's going to overflow. Now, please understand something. We're not just talking about giving money here. We're talking about your time, your talents, and your treasure. For what purpose? For the advancement of the kingdom of God. And Jesus makes a promise to you that if you'll get on board with his plan and his purpose, that all your needs will be met. I wonder today, how many would like to have all their needs met? I know I would. So it's three of us that would like to have all their needs. The rest, you don't have any needs. And your bank account is full, right? And you've got no credit card debt. Jesus says, I'm going to meet all your needs. But what he's calling us to do is get on board with his plan and his purpose. Now, I think it's very, very interesting that the wealthiest people, or some of the, most of the wealthiest people that speak out about how to earn money and what to do with money and, and how to be wealthy, one of the things they all say, even though many are not Christians, they all say this, it's important to give a portion of your money away. Has anybody ever heard of Susie Orman? Nobody would accuse her of being a Christian. She says, you've got to give at least a tenth of everything you have. Interesting. Why is it that we as Christians can't get this through our heads? Jesus says, give and you will receive. Now, please understand, this is not some sort of a cosmic uh, slot machine. You put the money in and you get more out. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is getting on board with God's great purpose for your life, and that is to make you a partner in making a difference in this world. I'm afraid that poor Kylie and Kendall Jenner, those Kardashians, after the pain that they've been through with their parents' divorce, I'm afraid that they're going to probably continue on in their emptiness. In the emptiness that their family has created. Nine years of absolute drivel. They'll continue on in that emptiness because they'll quickly forget. They'll quickly forget about that moment when they were faced with what's important in life. We all do, don't we? It's so easy. You know, we have that aha moment, that moment when God shakes us up. And we say, my life is going to change. I'm going to change the way I live. I'm never going to be the same again. And then quickly, the world takes over, and we forget. And we go back to the old ways of living. I'm going to tell you, as long as you attend this church, I'm going to keep shaking your cage. Because I don't want you to go back to the old way of living. I want you to come before the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as your Lord. And I want you to say, Lord Jesus, with all the power of your Holy Spirit, enable me to be used by you to make a difference in this world. There's all kinds of Kardashians, all kinds of people in ISIS looking for purpose. Empty and knowing that whatever life is, has got to be more. And I've got the answer. It's Jesus Christ. He calls you and me to come in full surrender to him. To get on board with giving. To advance his kingdom. Please. Please understand that the thing that's going to bring joy and fulfillment to your heart. Is when you start doing things God's way. When you actually submit to his lordship. That's what it means to be a Christian. Would you stand with me please as we pray?